Welcome to the Sport Mind podcast series, where I sit down with world-leading guests and unlock the secrets to mental strength in sports. Today, before you dive into the episode, I have something special for all listeners. Are you struggling with self-doubt, overwhelmed by performance anxiety, battling inconsistency, or facing fear of failure in your sport? Are you looking to overcome these obstacles and conquer the mental game? Well, I've got just the toolkit for you. An ebook I wrote called Overcoming the Top 10 Mental Obstacles in Sport, which you can get today completely free of charge. This comprehensive ebook is a treasure trove of practical and actionable strategies tailored for athletes who want to unblock the most common mental obstacles. Each chapter offers digestible advice, providing immediate tools you can apply to enhance your mental game. Readers have been raving about the insights and the transformations they've experienced with this guide. Teresa from California emailed recently saying, your guide is brilliantly helpful. I've just been getting into it and I'm truly excited to use it to help with the obstacles I face regularly. I wrote this ebook to be concise, punchy, and most importantly, practical for immediate application. And the best part, it's completely free, a token of your commitment to your mental and athletic growth. So click on the link in the show notes right now to grab your copy of Overcoming the Top 10 Mental Obstacles in Sport, or simply visit the SportMind Hub by Googling SportMind Hub. Equip yourself today with the knowledge and tools to face those mental challenges head on. Now, let's jump into today's episode and get ready to elevate your mental game to the next level. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to your next episode of the podcast series. Today, I have on the show a world-class mountain runner, Zach Hanna. Zach is based in Ireland, but competes all over the world. We recorded this episode while he was in his hotel room in Seville, about to compete in a flat half marathon to get in his speed training in order to compete better in the mountains. We explore the origins of Zach's mountain running and how he came to it later on in his life, but has since never looked back and is excelling in his chosen field. He came fifth at the recent world championships in Thailand, competing over an eight and a half kilometer course with an ascent of over a thousand meters quite incredible and a brutally tough sport. As always, we delve into the intricacies of the mind and uncover what makes Zach one of the most mentally resilient athletes out there. His mental strength isn't just limited to his chosen sport, but is also evident in his daily and weekly routines, where he displays remarkable discipline and commitment by consistently putting in the hard work regardless of external factors like weather or personal feelings. We look at how the concept of acceptance allows you to be in the moment and execute when the stakes are high. We look at motivation and where it comes from, and Zach gives some great tips for his tools to train the mind. We also talk about accessing a flow state and what his version of this looks like. He shares some great personal stories and brings to life what it feels like to be an elite level mountain runner and how grateful he is for what he does. He gets a lot of joy and appreciation for the scenery that comes with what he does And being grateful for this helps keep the motivation high. He also shares a very interesting story about nerves and anxiety, what happened to him before one race, and how he overcame it with the support network around him. Some fascinating stuff. So please do sit back and enjoy Zach opening up about his tools for the mind in his chosen sport, but also for all areas of life in general. 
Zach Hanna. Welcome to the next episode of the podcast series. Really chuffed to have you here. I know you're overseas, so thank you making for making the time to talk to me today. Uh, you're competing on Saturday, I believe, and we might talk about that. But listen, I think we're going to jump in with mountain running. Great headline. Um, it looks and sounds pretty brutal. Um, so as a good starting point, could you paint a picture for us what this entails besides the obvious title, really? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on, Jesse. I'm looking forward to having the chat anyway. But as it's exactly what it says on the 10 mountain run, you're basically mm-hmm. running up and down mountains through some of the most spectacular scenery in the world. And basically, if you really want to be picky, you can be real. The mountain running is very diverse in the, the distance of races. Mm-hmm. Some can go from... You have a vertical kilometer race, which is normally five kilometers, less than 5k in length, but have a thousand meters of vertical gain. And they mm-hmm. go right all the way up to a hundred milers. And wow, that's that's when you sort of go over the marathon distance, it's called trail running. Mm-hmm. But the, the branch I specialize in, generally, their longest race would maybe be oh, 35k. Okay. But so, so are you are you a bit more built for the, the, the speed side of things? Would you say the speed is more of an asset than the endurance? I suppose there's a combination of both, isn't there? There's a combination of both, yes. You have to you have to train both. You can't for the like for the likes of the ultras, you know, run long is key. You don't need speed. Mm-hmm. Whereas what I do, if you can run fast in the flat and you can and you're strong enough to run up and down mountains, you know, you make for a very good all round, not just a mountain runner, but an all round runner. And mm-hmm. It's just a fantastic sport on, you know, it's got, it's just, I love it. That's my life. Nice. Yeah. And we, well, we're going to unpack part of your story and part of your journey to this point. And, you know, if anyone follows you on social media, you have got some pretty cool scenic things there. I know you run a lot with your dog. Is it, that, that's like, tell, what's the story with your dog? Oh, that's my, my dog. She's called Cora. She's uh, named after a mountain and the, and there's a range of mountains beside me called the Moor Mountains. Mm-hmm. And there's a mountain called Slave Cora. And I named her after that. Brilliant. So she's a four-year-old collie crossed with a whippet. Wow. Okay. And she's got the endurance and the brains of two dogs, which is, I just, she's just, she's my best running partner. I just love running with her. Amazing. Everywhere I go, she goes. Does she? Yeah. And, and no matter the distance, like she, she's there with you. Yeah. It just goes. Well, she's run 20 miles away before, you know, that's, that's amazing. no problem to her, but. She would probably cover in a week, what, 50, 40, 50 miles a week. Brilliant. And no, she's just, she's wherever I am, she's up my side. And generally, she's any, on, apart from if I'm doing a race or from doing a, an actual training session, she'll not be there. But generally, she's with me probably 80% of the time. Oh, amazing. That's brilliant. And yeah, I can, I can kind of almost see um, you did like a video and I think yeah, I saw your dog running and, and you could almost see like the love in her eyes when she turned around you to, to see you a couple of times. So it's brilliant. I'm, I'm, I'm well there with you. But I'm um, talking about like the mountain running and, and it's obviously a combination of things because it's not just running on the flat. So you have to negotiate like a really awkward landscape, right? Like roots and rocks. And, you know, so is part of your mind always engaged to look out for things or do you just kind of, do you just trust in your instincts at that point? How does it work when you're over this rough random terrain? It, it's, it becomes sort of, you do need to be focused, especially if the ground is very uneven, because if you lose focus first, that second, you can end up on your face. Mm. I've learned that a few times in the past and you just, it's easier said than done sometimes, especially when you get towards the end of a race or, and you're getting more tired or you're just having a rough patch 
and things maybe just don't go. You might have a rough patch where you're tripping over everything and you're just not focused. Mm. But generally, the landscape you can run on, like some races are very smooth trail, which mm. can be very fast, and you don't don't require that much focus from your from the mind point of looking at the ground. Whereas there, there's some races like the, in Italy and whatnot they can be really really treacherous and one, one race I'd done two years ago where it was probably the only time in the race where I feared for my life oh really because it wow. was so so scary going downhill and but that you, the, at the same time it's scary but you get the adrenaline rush out of it yeah 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 it hurts like mad but after you're sort of thinking I want to do that again nice and so, so again made my simple mind I thought it would be not more scary, but obviously going up, you're fighting kind of the gravity and also the rough terrain, but obviously going down, you're picking up speed and then fighting the terrain. So you, you prefer going on the up, up slopes than the down slopes. Yeah. Prefer going up, but mm. I do enjoy going downhill. I'm just not as bad as a lot of people would be. Yeah. If it gets really, really technical underfoot, I'm not great. But if it's maybe a wee bit smoother and a bit faster, mm. not as technical, then I can hold my own. Mm. But it's hard. It's, Again, mine are on the sport where you can be good at either or, up or yeah. down. Okay, or okay. You get very few that are good, good at, both. at both. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. And what, what's your what's your preference? Is there preference distance? Is it kind of crazy steepness? Do you prefer, what what, what, what would you choose? What's your perfect kind of races? And you can even name some countries or places that, that that's happened. Well, at the minute, my specialty would be the vertical kilometers. So as I said, maybe earlier on, they are usually less than five kilometers in distance, which mm-hmm normally over a thousand meters of climbing so you can just mm. picture what that is that's ridiculous <laughs> um, i've done some of the best vks i've done have been in france italy and spain and mm. just just something about them i just love because someone could take you 35 minutes some could take you 50 minutes it just depends okay. on how, how steep it is and how rough it is um, yeah especially there's one in, in chamonix in the in the french alps there where the last 10 minutes you're climbing up ladders which is basically the ladders are drilled into the rock wow you lose grip you're falling back you have a thousand foot drop behind you <laughs> and you're, you're not scared for your life at that moment <laughs> well there wasn't looking behind me at that stage it was <laughs> yeah, I, was where I was going yeah 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 <laughs> just ignore it the beauty about those races is that they always finished and a really spectacular satin. Mm. So after maybe 10 minutes of your hand on the ground, coughing up blood and hurting like mad, you eventually come around and you're able to appreciate the view around you, which makes mm. it makes it worth it in the end. Yeah. And I'm definitely going to unpack parts of the mindset as we, as we kind of go about, you know, I've got questions on gratitude and flow and mindfulness, and that could be quite interesting how that kind of associates with mental strength when you're, when you're running in these spectacular places. But just before we get there, I think um, it'd be nice to unpack a little bit of your story about how you got into mountain running. So um, could you talk about your journey? Because I believe it's something you discovered after cycling and equestrian. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I discovered uh, my first love was equestrian, show jumping mainly um through my mum she's grown grown up with horses and still is involved with horses uh till this day and it's just spending time around horses when i was young when i was young maybe from from the day i was born mm-hmm. naturally i'm just gonna progress into money can i get a horse so i got a, got a, got a pony went from there and then i was competitive for a long long time sort of done show jumping cross country 
done various shows all over Northern Ireland and yeah, it was just a it was a great way to be brought up because you're always outside, you never really had you always had chores to do outside in terms of cleaning out stables, feeding and basically keeping your horse clean and exercising it. So nice. It was a real it was a real good way to be brought up because it sort of taught you responsibility from a young age. And I enjoyed all that because I like that outside. I'm not one for sitting inside. I can't mm-hmm. be inside for too long because I get bored and then it just just doesn't appeal to me. And then it was through my dad who worked abroad at that stage. He started cycling when he was working in Switzerland mm-hmm. and brought a bike home, joined the local cycling club, and then I wanted to tag along. Next thing I was lining up for a mountain bike race. <laughs> and yeah, sort of balanced the two sports for a long, long time. And and just age-wise, so for timeline's sake, what, what age was all this happening? Oh, I started horse riding when I was maybe five or six. Mm-hmm. I started cycling when I was eight or nine. But um, it was back then, it wasn't uncommon for me to say, be at a horse show on Saturday and go and race in a bike race on the Sunday or vice Brilliant. versa. Mm. And... I was just, it just meant for a very, very busy childhood in terms of you're either away at a horse show or you're away out in the bike or to a race. Hmm. So from a very early age, I was, you know, being outside and doing everything outdoor related was, wasn't forced upon me. It was something I chose to do. I wanted to do it. So my parents were very, I was very grateful that my parents were keen to let me do it. Hmm. And Oh, very, very, very appreciative that I grew up in a in a very, very beautiful part of Northern Ireland called uh, it's in the, a village called Dramara, and the landscape surrounding there is just absolutely stunning. Um, where I live, I live at the foot of a mountain called Cleve Crib, and from my back door, I'm able to look over the Belfast, look over probably most of the east of the country. Wow, fantastic. Um, it's absolutely hmm. stolen. And are, are you still based there now? Yeah, still based hmm. there. Still, still living at home. Nice, perfect. Yeah, yeah. And um, and then what, how was the transition to mountain running? Where, where did that spark? And I love the story about non-early specialization, by the way. I'm always talking about this and, you know, asking, you know, elite performers about non-early specialization. And you're a great example of it. But when did mountain running become a bit more appealing to you? It's probably the tail end of 2015. Um, after been out cycling for so long, I was trying to make that jump from, I was under 23 level at this stage. I was trying to sort of get ready for the jump up the senior and mm-hmm. training was going well. I was doing the training. Everything was going well that way, but just wasn't clicking in races. Physically, I wasn't as quick a developer as a lot of the people who I did race against. And I sort of got left behind and it got the, I think it just came to a head where I had to realize, right, I'm not going to be the cyclist I want to be. So at the thing it was at Christmas, I sort of says I would take a two-week break off the bike to try to reset physically and mentally. And within that two weeks, I started doing a bit of running just to keep fit. Okay. And just based on, there was a few people in my local cycling club who also ran in the mountains for my local club. And they had all suggested, you know, you should you should try this, try mountain running. You know, you've got the right build for it. And I thought, right, well, 
there was one race, the highest mountain in Northern Ireland, Steve Donard. That race is held every May. And I'd always mm-hmm. had it. And then from about two years up to that, oh, I'd love to do that race. Never really thought of it because I was too busy cycling. But then seeing the opportunity, went and bought a pair of mountain running shoes. That was my Christmas present myself. Okay. <laughs> and Christmas Day 2015, I went for a run. And that was it. I just, I want to try running. Never went back near the bike. Serious. Wow. And yeah, it just, uh, it, well, to be honest with you, it didn't start off, oh, I'm going to race, I'm going to compete. It was just, I enjoy this. Mm-hmm. No intention in competing, but then, you know, it's something that never really, never really planned it. It just happened. Mm. But something I'm very, very glad did happen. And in reflection, so that, that's a great, interesting segue to it. But, you know, the, not a massive similarity, but obviously on a bike, you're outdoors, you've got the fresh air, you've got the scenery running, you're outdoors, you've got the fresh air, you've got the scenery why was there such a fundamental shift to running? What was it that that kind of really sparked you and made you fall in love with it? Sounds like pretty instantaneously. Well, around, I would just say, because whenever, it was just to give you, you had a bit more freedom in running than you did in the bike. You were sort of stuck to the roads. We were stuck to certain trails, whereas when you've got your own two feet, you can go anywhere. There's no restrictions. You don't have to carry your bike over a fence or, you know, if it gets too steep, you have to, be able to get off and push the bike or carry the bike. Whereas in running, you know, you've only got your two feet to worry about. You're sort of, it's very hard to describe, but the... It's quite primal by the sounds of you. It's like a primal thing where, yeah, you know, back in the caveman days, back in the Savannah, that's all, all we had, man. Well, that's it. It's a very simple sport. You know, you, a decent pair of shoes, decent kit. And if you've got the right scenery around you and the right trails and the right mountains, honestly, it's like I'm very fortunate where I live. I can be on the mountain within less than just over five minutes there. And nice. it's just it's just a great way to see the world. It's a great way to see so many people that are driving back and forth to work and don't take time to look at the landscape that they actually live in. Whereas what I do mountain running allows me to, especially it was also, it was more so during COVID and the lockdown, it made me explore more of where I lived and it just made me realize this is like, I'm probably being biased here, but it just made me realize that where I live is probably the most beautiful place in the world. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And actually it's, it's quite funny. I've been doing a lot of uh, lessons with, with some of the people that I work with on gratitude and I think gratitude doesn't get its, its time in the sunlight. Like everyone, like high performers, like, no, we need, like, we need a win. We need to get the medals. We need to kind of get to this level. I'm like, yeah, but when can we stop and have gratitude, not just for the scenery, which you're obviously describing, but gratitude for a whole bunch of different things. And uh, we, we might come to that at some point. I'll be into, well, you've already mentioned quite a bit of it. Um, but in, in a bit of research uh, of you, Zach, I read an article about you would, you use the word acceptance and the word acceptance or accept was in the title. And it instantly grabbed me because I'm very big on this idea of dynamic acceptance for high performance sports and for the mind and the mental side, um, I think it's a super strong setting. So how do you use acceptance as a tool for your mind? How does acceptance help you with your mental strength? Acceptance is, I think at the, whenever you're talking about, you have to like, put yourself in the present moment. You need to accept, right? This is where you are. This is what the weather is outside. This is, you know, this is how you're feeling on the day. You can't, you can't really wish for something to be perfect because if it was perfect all the time, then you would never progress. You would never get better. So like, you say, for toxic, I go out, I'm going out for a run. And it's 
rain and real heavy outside, strong winds, thunder and lightning. You just have to accept what lost the weather today. Just mm-hmm. put on a raincoat and go. And is there also then an acceptance of where you are at mentally in any given moment? What I mean by that? So I like to kind of talk about like, you know, whenever you compete, in that moment, you've got a full deck of cards. There's nothing more you can do at that moment. You're stepping into the performance environment. You know, is there an acceptance of going, right, I, I, I've only got this right here, right now. I want to be there. I want to be like down the line, but actually kind of going, actually, I need to just accept where I'm at and be good enough with what I've got in this moment. Because I think a lot of people strive to be rise to this amazing occasion when they perform. But actually, the more I've unpacked this with some other thinkers, they go, well, no, let's just kind of like, let's not go below our lowest level in a way. What do you think of that? No, I definitely, I definitely think that there's a lot of people who do every time they go to compete in regards to world sport, they're always looking for the absolute best of themselves. But given the absolute best all the time is not possible. Mm-hmm. If you can give the best of yourself but not the absolute best consistently, you're going to see better results. You're going to see more progress. And for you, fit mentally and physically, it's going to benefit you more. Because if you always try and like, it's different. It's all right for running. I try to race, look at more quality than quantity of races. Whereas a lot of people just try and race every single weekend. And then they wonder why in six weeks time, they're either injured or they're running not as well as they want. Mm-hmm. Because they're pushing themselves too much. They're trying to, don't, they can't accept where they are on the day or at that present moment. And you just have to tell yourself, right, I, I'm i not where I want to be, but if I race today or compete today, in two months' time, I'll be in a better place than where I am today. Mm-hmm. You just have to be present in that moment and just realize that you can't do much more. Like There's nothing that you're going to do in the one hour leading into a race that's going to make you any better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of people get that wrong in a lot of other sports. And it reminds me a little bit of what you said there, which uh, there's there's quite a famous-ish quote from Carl Lewis. You know, when he was competing at his best, he talked something about the 85% rule. So he only ever wanted to be at 85%, like of his maximum of, of whether that's the mental side, whether that's the physical side, how he was sprinting, you know, because that that's where he felt he got into his flow state. And I quite like that 85%. Okay, we can't ever know exactly what 85% is within us mentally, but I think that's quite a cool way to look at it. Have you ever heard of the 85% rule? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm a great believer in too. It's cool, isn't it? Um, so what, what do you think sets you apart from the rest when it comes to your mentality for your training and your races? So we, we're here, we're talking about the mind, and we're going to go quite deep down this rabbit hole now. But you know what? Have you have you reflected on yourself? I know you're still really young and you're still at the cutting edge of your competition. So you're probably still maybe discovering some bits. But yeah, what, what do you think sets you apart in the training and racing side of things? Oh, I would say it's just... I, I was, when it comes to like say, training, I'm the sort like I I was very much struggle to I I struggle to train with people who aren't in the same mindset as in we want to get better today to make us better for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, I think and when I, the, what sets me apart oh, that's a very that's a <laughs> putting you on the spot here, man. <laughs> Trying to think that's a that's a difficult one because I've never actually thought too much. I thought about it briefly, but I've never thought okay. about it too 
much. Um, but but go down that little bit. You said so you when you're training because I, I want to explore that for a sec. Like how much of the training is by yourself and with others? That's a that's probably a second question. But yeah, like so when you are training and your expectations are a certain level for yourself, so your watermark, your benchmarks are here, but people aren't willing to you know meet your standards would you say that's a frustration that that you kind of you know you feel like that that lets you down if they're not at that level in a way yes but at the same time they're letting themselves down as well in my opinion but i'm very lucky that i have a great training group who we all meet on a saturday morning on a sunday morning and like even we're all everyone's there we know what we're doing we're all there with the same aim to become better runners Mm-hmm. And once you see when everyone's on the same wavelength, it's brilliant. Everyone's tapping out the reps, nice. getting the session done. Then everyone finishes. Everyone's in, everyone's in a good mood. That there is good. It's all that's as good a training environment as you'll need. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of research coming out about um not not just at the elite level that you're operating at, but um you know community activities, doing it with a group. You know, yeah, there's this maybe heroic individualism that sometimes we can kind of get stuck in. And yes, I'm kind of doing this and I'm plowing on myself. But yeah, there's a whole big community kind of aspect with like you know the, the even like the endorphins that are kind of bouncing from each other while you're doing it, which is really cool. So, what's your ratio of say group training to individual training? Probably Saturday and Sundays are the times I would train with a group mostly. Monday to Friday, I'm on my own. Mm-hmm. Maybe or maybe during holiday times, might meet up with people whenever they're say if they're off work or something. But that's mm-hmm. not too often. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that that's definitely one thing that would set me apart is that I have a very good group of people around me who I can talk to when I need to. You know, nice. Family, friends, my coach just general members of my runner club who mm-hmm. all understand what I'm trying to do. And then as say anyone who's a runner, they're all trying to do the same thing, become the best runner they can be. Mm-hmm. And whenever you have that, like I'm over here in Seville and my own, and I know that back when I was on the phone with my mom earlier on, like I'd be talking to loads of people between now and, and now and the race on Sunday. And like everyone's, everyone's supporting you. Everyone's filling you up with, you know, giving you the motivation to go out and have a good run. And it's definitely, it's one thing, a lot of people think running's a very individual sport. In a way it is, but a lot of people don't see the, the community that you have behind you because you can't, mm. you can't do it your own as much as some people might think they can. You can't. Mm. Yep. You, need, you need someone to be able to talk to you if you're not feeling great after a session or mentally you're feeling a wee bit vulnerable. Race, you just don't feel oh maybe maybe for some reason your head's not in the right spot where it should be because something like you don't feel you've had a good week leading into a race etc and that's probably the one thing i would say helps me a lot and as well i think it's just a, a never give up attitude okay. i don't i think since i've started running of maybe dnf one race in six years and I'm determined to have to go back and resurrect and, and fix that. Okay. Okay. It sounds, sounds like it's there. Which one is it? Where is that? Uh, Sierra's in Ireland, Switzerland. It's okay. probably the world's biggest mountain race. It's 19 miles. And wow. Okay. Last year, I got to the top of the very last climb before you start the final 10K descent into the mm-hmm. valley. And both my calves just locked up. Couldn't. Did they? Wow. Couldn't move. Yeah. Couldn't even walk. I still have to go back and 
fix that hopefully this okay. year. But it's nice. that that type of drive where I'm thinking, right? That race has a DNF beside my name. I need mm-hmm. to get that DNF rubbed out and put an actual time or a place beside it. Brilliant. Love that. Love that. That sounds amazing. What well, so what happens when your calves cramp up and you're 10 kilometers away from the finish? Yeah, Jack. But I couldn't run and I was only probably gonna do myself more damage. Yeah, but how do you even get how do you even get to the end? Do you just have to hobble the whole way back? Does anyone well, need to luckily, help you? Luckily it was a aid station, so I was able to pull okay. in and manage to get transported back to the finish. Okay. Like I don't even when I got back to the finish, normally a lot of people would just sort of go and hide and somewhere quiet to avoid any of the questions. But I just I didn't dwell on it too much because at the same time I knew you had I kind of knew that leading into the race I probably wasn't where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Probably gonna be a bit too too much racing going into it, but you learn you live and learn. Yeah, I know I know for this time when I go to do it, how to approach it better. Mm. And like you learn off those bad experiences. Totally. Up then very well for the future because you know you don't want to repeat the same mistakes twice. Mm, exactly. Well, it's a quote I kind of keep kind of putting out there. Mandela said it: "We never lose. We are, I win or learn." You know, I love that idea yeah, that that it's only a loss. Yeah, if you, it's only a loss if you put into that bucket of a loss. If you don't react on it, if you don't learn from it, if you don't move yourself one percent forward from it, you know, I think that's a, a really well said from your part as well. And um, I'm just jumping ahead a little bit to to what I was going to ask, but I think it's a good time to bring this in. Um, the professionalism of mountain running. I know it's not an Olympic sport. I'm a squash background. We're not in the Olympics as well. So, you know, I feel your pain. What's, um, what is the professionalism like? You know, you're, you're a full-time professional mountain runner, but I can imagine the support and maybe the finances aren't that strong, are they? Or correct me if I'm wrong. No, you're right. And um, yeah, the, the fact that it's not an Olympic sport just doesn't help for fund and finances or anything. Um, it is getting a lot more professional. You're now starting to see a lot of brands are setting up their own teams and they're starting to sign professional mountain runners, which is fantastic to see because mm-hmm. it shows that brands like Nike and Brooks and Adidas have all invested in teams and now they have fully professional teams with maybe 10 to 20 athletes on it. And they're all been paid to run to represent the brand, compete at the biggest races in the world and also go to training camps together as a team, all paid for by the brand. Awesome. And like that, there's absolutely fantastic for the sport. But then at the same time, you need to, you don't want it to go on, you don't want it to turn into like, you know, it'll never happen. But you don't want to go in the same way as the Premier League footballers where they're losing touch with the fans, they're losing touch with what the sport's actually all about. Mm. Right runs a very pure sport. You know, you're, you're running, you don't need much for it. You don't need a whole lot of organisation. You just need a, some trails or a mountain they're on a couple of arrows or <laughs> cases if you do the fell running scene in the UK and Ireland you don't have any arrows you just have a map and compass to read brilliant love that and as, as for myself I wouldn't call, I wouldn't really call myself a professional because I'm not actually getting paid a wage okay. I just rely on the support of sponsors of local businesses from where I live who have been outstanding and helping me get to where I am whenever I whenever I started approaching them a couple of years ago. Nice. But like, it's not a sport I'm going to make money at. I've, mm. well, I've accepted that. But at the same time, you're not, you know, if you, if you start chasing money and going to races purely for the money, you soon nah. lose the enjoyment. And then if you don't have a good race, then you're panicking. Oh, how am I going to, I never got prize money. Whereas if you're in that mindset of saying, if you do get prize money, if you get something, happy days, 
it's been a good day. If you don't, well then just accept that on the day there was runners who were better than you and just get ready for the next race. That's all mm-hmm. you can do. Yeah, that's a great it's mindset. Because because at that point, you're well, not that there's going to be complete pressure reduced and it's not going to get rid of all of the nerves, but you you you're talking to yourself in a reasonable, rational, sensible way that yes, you're there, you're 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 going to go run through brick walls, you're doing putting it all out there. But if you don't, you know, get that first place, you know, you, your next meal's not coming from that prize money. And that's that's kind of an, an important differentiator, isn't it? Um, and and just you mentioned something earlier, which I think is worth picking up now. Uh, you know, we had a quick chat before we started recording you're in seville you're doing your first flat half marathon so can you just kind of unpack that for the listeners you know yes we're talking mountain running that's your specialty but you've gone to seville to go in a flat half marathon why 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 is this happening when i started mountain running running the road didn't enjoy it did not see the point of it. i was just mountains all the time mountains all the time and it was whenever i started being coached um, my, my coach is actually a member of my running club as well, Richard Rogers. He had started preaching to me about you know, to run fast in the mountains, you need to be able to run fast in the flat. And I, at the start, I couldn't understand how that worked, but then mm. I'm a very, I like, to, I like to read a lot. So I was buying books of mountain runners from back in the 70s, 80s, and early 90s. And I was reading what, they, what training they do. And then the next thing you see, these runners have. 61, 62 minute, 63-minute half marathons and they're mm. 28-minute 10Ks and two 15 marathons and you're thinking, right, there's something here. There's something starts to click and then you get more curious. You start doing more research about it. Then you realize that people who you know personally in the mountain running scene are very, very fast in the flat, okay. but they're also very, very fast going up and down mountains. Mm-hmm. And it's been toying in the back of my head for a couple of years, but it was only during the maybe back of September there. The idea just thought, right, I want to give it a go and see how it does, see how it helps my mountain running going into 2023. So scarred the internet for a fast flat half marathon sort of late winter, early spring, and Seville came up and at that stage it seemed a nice time of the year where weather's bad at home. Seville got good reviews. I said, well, it gives me something to look forward to over the winter, over Christmas and whatnot. Nice. So, yeah, my coach is keen for me to give it a go. So I put on a really good block of training. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Excited. Good, good. Well, good luck, and now I'm sure. Well, I'll, I'll check in with you next week's out. All went. It'll be interesting to know. Um, okay, so we're going to dive into a little bit more of the um, some of the mental tools, mental strategies. First one I want to kick off with um, habits. So habits must play quite a strong part in your life. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, because as without them, maybe the discipline of executing some of those really hard sessions or the ones that you don't really want to do, they might kind of go by the leeway. But maybe you are determined. Maybe you just go, no, it's getting done. So you know, habits like how big. Do habits play in your life? Although I'm a very, I'm a creature of habit, as I say. Um, get up in the morning, go for a run, go out even for a run. And what I do in between doesn't really have a habit. I don't okay. have what I do in between. Mm-hmm. As long as I get a run in the morning, on the run in the evening, what I do in between doesn't really affect me. I'm not one for. I have to do this in between a run. You know, I don't. If you're too strict, well then, mm-hmm. if if you get too strict with a routine and then you have to defer from that routine, well, then that's only going to mess you up mentally and yeah. don't want that. So, like, 
it's got to the point now that I've started training seriously and taking it a lot more serious. Like my family, my mum and dad in general just know that right morning time, evening time is actually for a run. If, we, if you need to do anything, <laughs> get them before or after. Mm, I like know. that, yeah. Um, no, you, so there's you, like you, there's no negotiation. It's just like that's that's in it's set. It's you know you don't even need to make a decision about running. It's just it's just there, right? Is that how it happens for you? Well, that's it as well. Like I say about running with the dog, she needs exercise too. So there we go. I have to get her out as well, and I guess just it's just nice. There's people just religiously go to work every day and don't do anything outside of that. You know, I run every day, twice a day, Monday to Saturday, and once on a Sunday. And it's just, that's just how it is. Incredible. I don't, don't really think about it too much. Like, I know whenever I started the half marathon training, I knew my sessions were going to be longer. I was going to be doing bigger mileage, but you just have to work your way around that. Mm-hmm. And, like, generally, whenever I'm not running, like, I've plenty of bits and pieces to do at home and whatnot. I'm always busy. Nice. So it's nice to have that as well, because if you're just running and doing nothing, which I did learn, I moved to Italy back in was it may 2021 mm-hmm. to because Italy's generally like you moved Italy that's where the the best mountain runners are okay like, throw yourself into their environment which i did and it was all all good for the first i'd say six to eight weeks and then i just got to august time and see i, I don't know what ever happened but I just started getting really, really badly homesick. Okay. And that stage, because I was out in Italy, I didn't speak <laughs> any Italian. Mm. I was running in the morning, running in the evening, but in between, I had absolutely nothing to do. Yeah, that's not healthy, is it, eh? No. And even when I trained, I even thought, oh, I wonder if we get like a small job out of chopping logs or something. <laughs> okay. Even then, because just you couldn't speak you couldn't the translation was just a massive thing and really wow i really i think it was one night i had went for i, I went home for a week to do a race the sleeve dollar race and I won the race and i came back to italy because i had a race to do a week later and i think it was after that race it didn't go as well as what i wanted and got home into the apartment after that race and i went for a walk and i can remember just sitting down and crying my eyes out just had to go home really so just phoned mm. home that's it done yeah pack mm. bags pack the big pack and took suitcases and just said right hang on got home mm. and i was never as glad to see home in my life i was honestly my mood lifted something shocking my mood just went from being absolutely in the, the worst i've ever been to been the happiest man in the world in the space of 48 hours love that wow that's powerful stuff isn't it because yeah listen for high performers and, and trying to be the best of the best of the best we can't ignore relationships and and things away from our sport if if, if the sport becomes all-encompassing and so serious like yes it obviously was serious going to italy but if there's nothing outside of that yeah if you're not having relationships with you know friends family colleagues whatever that's that's surely mentally gonna gonna damage you you're not gonna perform well no, 100%, because before I went to Italy, I was, I was obviously working full-time, and I just, I was either a case of, right, if I want to go and trip full-time and see how far I can go, now's the time. I'm 25, no commitments or anything, and not in time to die, so I wanted to get the support gathered up, done it, and we went to Italy. And then just when you've suddenly went from working 40 hours a week 
running before work and after work. Like that was your day. You were mm-hmm. content. You were busy. Or whenever you're not taken away from you, you soon realize how much you need structure, something to do, something to keep your mind busy outside of Roland. Because if Roland, if Roland's everything and you don't have anything else, well, then it's going to be a very, very bad ending, as I learned. And yep. I got home and once I started you know, going, catching up with friends, just I was just texting people, do you fancy going for a run today? People would have said, look, I'm on work, but come meet me at five o'clock, I go for a run with you. I was going around trying to get people to go out for a run just so I could get myself eased back into the, the way of life at home. Mm. But it was as if I'd never been away. That's brilliant, yeah. That's, that's the funny thing. I just slipped back into my normal my old life as if I'd never been away, which I was glad of. And yeah. I sort of made me realize, right, you don't need to be abroad to try and be the best at mm-hmm. your sport. You can do it. If you've got the right team behind you, you've got the right mentality, you've got, you've got the right support network around you. You don't need to be, you can do it anywhere. That's what I learned. And I don't think I could ever see me moving abroad again because I just love, I love my home too much. I just love um, my friends, my family. They just, you realize how much you, yeah, it's not how much you need them, but you realize how much you appreciate them, that you have really. that, you have people to talk to and you have people that care about you back home. Yeah, it's it's um, Amanda Sober, US number one squash player. Like one of her lines and mantras is, "A happy athlete is a good athlete," and, and like she's always trying to get that configuration right. And and you know, it sounds similar to what you said. You know, happiness for you is the relationships, being at home, the scenery, close to your friends and family. And you know, if you're a happy athlete, you're a good athlete. So yeah, it sounds sounds a pretty pretty kind of um, close connection there. Um, so Zach, any tips on motivation? Where does it spring up within you? Uh, what are the sources of your motivation? Oh, a lot of it's intrinsic motivation. Um, I don't, I don't do things for other people. Well, not that I'm not selfish like that, but a lot of the things like if I want to go for a run up, if I want to go for a run up my local hill, my local mountain where I live, I go up because I want to, not because someone's telling me I have to. Mm-hmm. which is good it's exactly. nice that way and I started like I race because I want to race I enjoy that sound, it might sound stupid but I like hurting myself I like putting myself into that position and seeing how how far I can go and in a race situation can I be the best on this day I love that from a young age I've always been competitive like even in primary school when you were like four or five, six year old, like you're playing football and you're always like, you had to be in the winning team and sports mm-hmm. day, you had to be the winner of this race. I was just me and always been competitive, always loved competing, didn't matter what sport it was, whether it was show jumping, cycling or running. And when the older I got, when I got to secondary school, I was you know, playing football, rugby, volleyball, doing everything done every single sport purely because I just love the competitive element of it. So the motivation is very much intrinsic, uh, but mm-hmm. as well the same, you do get that extrinsic motivation where like it's nice to win something and then you get trophy, prize money, something to show for your efforts. But it was all it's nice having medals and everything sitting in your bedroom and all, but it's nice going to bed and your legs are hurting and you know, right, I'd give that a good I'd give that a good rattle today and uh, it's nice that you know that you've done the training for it 
you know, it takes a lot of motivation to go out and run 90 to 100 mile weeks. You don't do that for, a lot of people wouldn't even do that for a million pounds, never mm-hmm. mind nothing. So, exactly. yeah, yeah. yeah very much, very much intrinsic, but there is a bit of extrinsic motivation because I think if you try to do it all intrinsic, it'd be very difficult. You need to have something to show for it as well. Well, that's just my, that's my take on it anyway. Mm. There's other athletes who would maybe argue different. But yeah, yeah, it's interesting because I, I, again, I, I'm slightly in your camp. I think it's a balance between extrinsic and intrinsic, but definitely, you know, always kind of asking yourself the 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 child's minds. Like, so if your sport's becoming too serious and it's just like another serious chore in your life because it's all extrinsic, in my opinion, you need to ask yourself, like, what what, what did my child's mind do? What, how did they get into the sport? And that's what we got to keep remembering because for me, I think that that gives high performance. Um, I bet you a nightmare at the family kind of Christmas board games, eh? With that competitive spirit of yours, he's just like, <laughs> just, yeah, we don't like, play board games. But I just <laughs> think my dad did get a new new version of Monopoly. I was like, nope. No. <laughs> I need to go run, Dad. Like, what's this rubbish? It's going to take too much of my time. <laughs> I can't. I'm not one for like sitting down. I rather because I'm normally tired from training. Normally, if I sit down, I I'll maybe doze off or fall asleep or something. Mm. <laughs> it's been that long since I've actually played it. I'll probably forget. Right. You, you, you probably love it. You probably get in and be like, "Hey, what's this new thing?" No, you probably won't. I know, knowing what I know about you at the okay, moment. But, uh, it's uh, <laughs> No, we don't, we don't really play them games. Thankfully, I would say, generally, I say the family would get very competitive on it, on it and the cousins are mm. all too, so okay. it wouldn't end well. Stay away, stay away from it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Zach, I'm, I'm always curious about flow. Flow for me is a, is a great concept. It's a great thing. I think we're trying to strive for it or, you know, and trying to get to that place. Um, What do you think about flow? And, and do you, you know, do you, again, I think with what you're doing and some of the amazing scenery you say, you describe and how your motivation is quite intrinsic. Flow, where, where does this register for you? Flow, well... For me, when someone talks about flow, it's whenever you're, if someone said to me, well, when was the last time you went for a run and you had the, you know, the flow state, as they call it, I would say it would, been, it would have been July or August time, but maybe July. It was one evening, it was really a really nice day at home, really lovely sunny weather, it was about 20 degrees or so, and I had run that morning, and I had no intention of doing a, a mountain run that evening. It's quiet at home. I put the dog in the back of the car and I drove 15 minutes to Newcastle to the foot of Sleeve Donard. And I ran up to the top of Sleeve Donard and I must have stood at the top for 20 minutes looking over the view because it was such a nice calm evening. Just no, there's no one else to summon but me and the dog. Hmm. I sat and looked at the view and just took it all in phone was in the bin the bomb bag internet was turned off and I ran back down that mountain and let, up and down uh, time was just 58 or 59 minutes hmm. and I came back to the car and didn't feel like it felt as if I just went for a walk legs felt good everything just felt good and that that's flow just hmm. running and effortless and not worrying about what's going on down in the on the streets. You're up in the mountains with your dog. It's it's your happy place. And for me, that's probably the last one of the last times I ran when I felt really, really good like that. I love that. 
It's a beautiful description. And yeah, you can all you know, bring it to life. And but but this links me to my next maybe mental tool, possibly um mindfulness, you know, mindfulness presence. Um, I'm not sure if you do meditation, but you know, obviously with what you're doing, mindfulness might play a big part. You know, you're in the moment, you're present, mind and body in the same place at the same time. And when they talk about flow, it's, it's yes, it's a timeless state, but there's no dwelling on the past. There's no forecasting to the future. So um, mindfulness, do you practice mindfulness? Do you just naturally get into the state when you're running? How, how does that work for you? I don't practice it. Don't practice it like pra- properly, but I would say it's just something you naturally, I would naturally slip into. Mm-hmm. Like whenever I, I say up until maybe five minutes before a race, I'm, not really in the race. Whenever I stand on that start line and just look around and say, right, now we're ready to race. Next thing is just, it's as if someone just flicks a switch mm-hmm. and I'm ready to race. Nice. Like I start talking to myself, right? Right. A lot of the time, I say if there's anyone that's videos of me on the start line, they'll see me talking to myself. Okay. I would say, right, Stag, come on, let's go. This is it. Now you have to really go and hurt don't leave it don't leave anything out there mm. and that's whenever it really gets it's just in the space of 10 seconds i can go from being you know saying good luck to everyone next thing don't talk to me oh wow okay and that's whenever i get going and yeah. then everyone, a, lot, a lot of people are on the same as well and then people have different sort of things to do before is I've seen people slapping their cheeks and slapping their arms. Whereas for me, I slap my calves and slap my quads. Just as like a wake up call, right? Let's get ready to go. Mm-hmm. And that's it. You're in. So is that, is the opposite ever, ever happened where, you know, you're, 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 you're dwelling on like, I don't know, past mistakes or, or you're kind of forecasting the future. I'm not where I should be. And if I don't kind of push here, I'm going to lose the race or kind of come lower. So do those kind of thoughts come into your mind or are you quite good at just being in the moment? Is it quite a natural setting for you? I'm kind of just looking at the negative side of it for a second. Quite naturally at the end the moment. Um, I honestly couldn't tell you the last time I went into a race thinking, I haven't done enough training or I don't feel good or what, you know, because a lot of like, especially when you're doing your warm up, sometimes you don't want to feel too good when you're doing your warm up because that gets you nearly put you in the false sense of security that you're going to do well in the race and mm-hmm. you might not. And for me, dwelling on the past or past mistakes or whatever's happened, say in the last week or the last month, doesn't come into it because it's what you're at now. Exactly. You could be at home in Ireland or you could be other side of the world in Thailand as it was in November. But you have to just put that all to the side and say, right, for whatever, 30 minutes, an hour, two hours, I'm going to be running here. I need to be focused 100% on my running and just need to get into the mindset of, right, let's go to get let's get the legs going here get the loan going and be ready to enjoy yourself for a bit nice nice yeah powerful setting man it sounds like yeah you're able to access it not at ease i'm, I'm sure you obviously there's a bit of a natural um innate kind of talent this but you know i think part of it is is yeah you sound like a, a very measured rational thinker which which is a powerful setting but then um how do you cope with pressure because pressure nerves anxiety how do you try cope with that that it doesn't affect your performance is there certain tools or strategies you use is it the way you talk to yourself what, what what's your coping with nerve strategies 
Oh, I, I, I get nervous for, for every race. doesn't matter how big or small it is. I find that it shows that I respect the race. It shows that I know that, you know, it doesn't matter. You're only as good as your last race. So it doesn't matter where you've been or where you're going. If you enter the, the local mountain, the local fell race, which could be four miles, and it only takes you about 35, 40 miles to do, I would still feel nervous there because you've got the local people around you who know what who know who know your results. If you perform bad, like even if you just come second and someone else beats you, you're always gonna have that people say, What happened to you? People think you've you're going backwards or something, which mm-hmm. is natural for the general public, but maybe they think that if you don't win a race, something's going wrong. Um the pressure really did get to me. It was back in Back in June time, I had travelled to Portugal for the first mountain running World Cup race. And on the flight, as we were landing, I took a real bad migraine. I never, ever take sore heads, migraines or anything. Hmm. Thought it was maybe just because I hadn't flown in a long time. Thought something to do, I got something silly. And driving, they got the organiser to pick me up at Porto Airport. Drove 90 minutes to the race with with a hotel where I was staying in. And on the way there, I felt like a real car sick, which I don't normally get. Got real car sick. Just did not feel myself. Got into the hotel and just felt real. Like I, 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 I took a panic attack, essentially. Mm, wow. I took a panic attack and really, really got down, phoned home and just said, like, I can't race. I can't race. I'm coming home. Really? Like I, I was racing the, on the Sunday and I had flown in on the Thursday. I said, I'm coming home tomorrow. I can't race. I just can't. Something that don't know what it was. Don't know why it happened. Hmm. And case of, I just felt there was uh, I was under a lot of pressure because I had the, the backing of my sponsors for another year. I thought, right, well, if they're putting their backing into me, they're supporting me. I'm gonna have to really perform here. And I think it just sort of I hadn't raced in I hadn't raced abroad since October. And this was June time, so it had been a long, long time. And I wasn't sure whether what the shape was, how good my form was. So nerves was getting there too. Mm. Nerves combined with pressure did not Mm. go well. I was on the phone to mum and dad, crying my eyes out. And then uh, on the phone to my coach, who my parents started talking then, talking then in the sense, and then he finished it. Because he had said, Jack, you're... You're, that's what you're born to do. You're here yeah. to read. You're born to run. You know, and then the more I talk to people, things, the more I got talking to people, my mom, dad, my coach, and the training group, they all reassured me that, you know, there's nothing to be worried about. Just go and run to the best of your ability. Mm-hmm. And once I got sad, like I, I was, I was vomiting and everything. It's weird, back. eh? Wow. Yeah, it's never, ever happened to me before. Mm. And, Eventually got saddled, went to bed real early. I think I had 13 hours sleep that night. Jeez, wow. So you're wiped out. Mm. The next morning, got up, went for a run around the, it wasn't a very busy place, quite quiet. Went for a run, came back, and then um, beside the hotel, there was a local, like, local baths, and we were given vouchers to go and get, you know, free massages and stuff. Oh, cool. So I thought, right, I need something to help me unwind here. Mm-hmm went and got a full body massage and after that there I felt like a new person amazing 
once I realised that there was no pressure on me, mm-hmm. I just had to go out and run to, as we talked about before, the extrinsic, the intrinsic motivation behind it all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up going out and finishing second in the first world. I was only well, a minute. I was only a minute behind the one of the Kenyan runners. That's brilliant. Wow, what a story, eh? That's brilliant. Well, oh. thank you for reliving that. And obviously spawned from a bit of a maybe a difficult situation, but how it turned into a real positive. And maybe if it links to what we said near the beginning, that that acceptance piece, you know, the, you know, yes, you know, you had the, the external pressure or the thoughts of the sponsors and I need to do this. I've not run so long. And then all of those thoughts build up. And even if it's subconscious thoughts, yeah, they can manifest themselves into what possibly happened with your body, the migraine, the vomiting, you know, all of that. But, you know, and you reflected your support network can start to talk to you rationally. And sometimes, you know, the rational and irrational beliefs we have in our brain, you know, we, we sometimes can't wade through them. We need that external side of people coming in. So that's a, that's a really, really good story, man. Yeah, well, really Absolutely about the external support. I honestly, I got home and well, I once finished the race, second, got back to the, the bus, the, the, the coach that took the athletes back to the start line and on the phone, I was like, where'd that come from? Uh, just as they all said, that's what you're born to do. You're born to run. So I just had to learn from that and had to just realize that, right, I'd done that. I, I more or less done that to myself. I was made myself believe there was pressure on me when there wasn't. Yeah, totally. So back down again, like now and again, it would creep up on you, but you just have to learn to process it and just trend don't let it overtake you overtake your mind too much mm. i don't mm. think there's there's no such thing as a perfect athlete when it comes to the mind everyone has their doubts everyone gets their their rough days where they're you know, getting into the working bit struggle thankfully i don't get thankfully i very rarely get those days because i just love running it's not because i have to go run because i have a competition coming up mm-hmm. and that helps a lot yeah so so one of one of my more kind of final questions but i think you've almost answered it there um like like a win at all costs mentality it sounds like you're quite good at getting that balance right yes you're competing yes you're wanting to do your best but i know a lot of athletes that it feels like a win at all costs their identity is wrapped up with the, the status their rankings their titles and this kind of this pure win and forget everything else becomes such a hurdle and a barrier to high performance. Um, but would you say you're quite rational with that win at all costs? You're kind of okay with obviously doing your best, but if you don't quite get where you want to be, you can handle that quite well. So what do you think of the win at all costs mentality? No, I don't agree with that win at all costs mentality at all. I think that can be the ruination of a very, very good athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, I just learned, well, it's not that I've learned. I've always known that. There's all, always known. There's, there, there's, there's far better runners than me out there. There's far better mountain runners than me going uphill. And you learn that this year. You go finish second in one race and come sixth in the next one. That's just because on that day that there was five other athletes who were better than you, whereas the last race, you were better than the rest except one. Mm-hmm. And it's been able to accept that and realize that can sometimes work in your favor because when you realize, right, I'm on the start line here and say that you look down, you look left and right and you see, right, there's 10 others here who could beat me today. And you just have to realize, right, well, either I'm going to be second best today or I'm going to be the, I'm going to be the best, I'm going to win it, 
or I'm going to be seventh best or eighth best. You have to be prepared to accept that at the end of the race, that's where you are. And whether it be tactics loses you the race or just you don't have your legs or your, your lungs aren't working on the day, there's that many different factors come into it. And mm-hmm. when, when you're able to accept, as I said before, that there are people better than you and that one race isn't going to define your career, then everything becomes a whole lot easier. Mm. Like, I'd race here this Sunday. I know that it's not going to define my season because it's the first time doing a road half marathon. I have no expectation. I don't know what I'm going to run. But it's something that once I see my time beside my name, it means, right, this is what we'll have to work with. The next time you do it, this is what we'll want to do and how we're going to do that. And it's very much... All about as I say, it's not about the it's all about the journey, not the destination. I love doing the work leading into the race because when you do the race to say if you do run well, you can look back at your training there and say, I that two months of training really, really helped it lead into this day. I love looking at that. I just love that knowing that I've done the work to earn a result. Nice. I like that. Yeah. And again, very, for someone who's so young, that's very rational kind of forward thinking. I really, really like that. Um, So listen, Zach, we've unpacked quite a lot today and I've really thoroughly enjoyed this, but I always like to kind of ask the guests, you know, if there's anything that you feel we may not have covered or a message that you would like to reinforce with the listeners for, you know, in regards to the mind, the mental strength, mental flexibility. Um, You know, I think there's a lot that people would have got out of this today, but yeah, any, any, any kind of closing messages from you? If anyone's ever low on motivation and they want to get themselves fired up, watch the Rocky Rocky films. Watch the Rocky films. Which one yeah. do you go for? Which is your favorite? I, I know my favorite. Rocky Four. <laughs> yeah, in the snow. Come on, when yeah. he gets to the top of the mountain. There we yeah, go. Yeah, <laughs> la- last week there. Last week, um, it was snow at home, and I was running the snow every day, and I just and every run in the back <laughs> of my head, I was like, I'm Rocky. Good luck. I just love that because I just I don't. I, I wouldn't say I can relate to it, but it just whenever I see him running the snow on the mountains and living out in his cabin in the middle mm-hmm. of nowhere, that just I can I can relate to that in the way that I I live in the mountains in the middle of nowhere. Love that. I just yeah. love that, and the whole mentality thing about you know he just wants to go the distance. He just wants to he just wants to be the best that he can be. I love yeah. that, and I find that very very good. And and if. One final message to your listeners is enjoy what you're doing. Don't get too caught up in the success of everything because it's a very, it doesn't matter what sport you're at, it's not going to last a lifetime. And I know I'm 27, I've only been out running six years. I don't know how long's left in me. I don't know what's going to happen next year, the year after, or the next five years. Enjoy it and just remember that it's a gift to be able to uh, compete in a sport that you love. It doesn't matter if you're grassroots level or the elite level just enjoy it and be grateful and uh, appreciate every moment that you have awesome really really good message there zach that's that's phenomenal so um where can people find you on social media do you want to just give a shout out for your your twitter handle your instagram handles um because i'm sure a few people listening will want to kind of follow you and kind of check what you're getting up to uh i'm on twitter i think my username's at zach hannah 95 and instagram is at zach hannah uh, I'm not uh, as active on Instagram as I'd say 99% of the people would be, but generally if I get a nice picture, I'll put it up. But 
Yeah, you can follow them Perfect. and you have to do a race or something up there, like. But you'll not Perfect. be, you'll not be, uh, you'll not be bombarded with push every day. You'll be glad to know. <laughs> Good stuff. You're too too busy getting on those mountains and appreciating the moment and with the gratitude and mindfulness and flow and all these concepts we've spoken about. Yeah. Zach, listen, you've been absolutely treated. I really love chatting today. Um, loved unpacking your mind, the mental strength, and you know, it just comes across. You again, you are so grateful for what you're doing, and yeah, it really resonated across to me today. So thank you so much for your time today. No, great, great talking to you, Jazz. I really, really enjoyed it.